This is a Woodside Church podcast. Good morning. It's good to be here. Wasn't that worship great? And uh, so good just to worship God, uh, be reminded and to remind him of all his faithfulness over the years. Uh, personal relationship with God, you can't beat it in the whole of the world. It's just wonderful. So uh, if, if you're relatively new to the church and I've not met you before, my name is Tim, uh, one of the leaders here at Woodside, but based in the West Side uh, most weeks. And uh, it's uh, just really good to see all that God's doing amongst us. Praise God. And uh, today, I am continuing after the pause for the... Weren't the baptisms good last week? Oh, I mean, you know, it's so good. But I'm the, after the pause of the baptisms, we're back to my hero walking or following the foot, in the footsteps of giants. And uh, each of us who are preaching in this series are looking at just one of our old, personal Old Testament heroes. And uh, we've already had Gideon, we've had Ruth, and we've had Abraham. And today, I'm going to be preaching on my hero, Nehemiah. Now, Nehemiah became a hero of mine when I heard Terry Virgo in the early 1980s preaching at the Dales Bible Week on a series of Nehemiah, as he was alluding to the story of Nehemiah in the Old Testament as being so relevant and parallel to what God was doing in restoring his church out of formalism, out of traditionalism, and into the life of God, the life of the Spirit, the life of being the body of Christ where we were family together and everybody using their gifts and abilities and playing their part, loving one another, where God was uh, reminding us again that there were such things as gifts of prophecy and tongues and interpretation of tongues and of healing, where God was reminding us again that there were apostles and prophets as well as pastors and teachers and evangelists given to the church to equip the saints for works of service. And I'm not going to repeat everything he said because that would take far too long. Uh, But that's when I got gripped with the story of Nehemiah. Now, the background story to Nehemiah is this. It was in the mid-400s BC when Judah had been exiled, the tribe of Judah had been exiled for decades And uh, exile means that they were taken away from their homeland, from Jerusalem and and their territory uh, in a part of what is now modern-day Israel, and taken hundreds and hundreds of miles away into captivity by the Babylonians. But by this stage, uh, another empire had beaten the Babylonians, the Persians, the Medes and the Persians. They'd taken over from uh, the Babylonians. And so they were a part of the Persian Empire, but living in cities which would now be in modern-day Iraq and Iran. Um, And uh, more recent kings, uh, during this time, time of Nehemiah, had allowed a remnant to return to Jerusalem, remnant of Judah, first under a leader called Zerubbabel, then under one called Ezra. But many were still in Persia itself, and Nehemiah was one of them. Now, Nehemiah 
had a really good job. He was cupbearer to the king. Now, when we talk about being cupbearer to the king, the king's name was Artaxerxes, um, and uh, he, he served wine and choice drink to the king on a daily basis. And this king wasn't the king of a tiny territory. He was king of a huge empire, which spanned thousands of miles. He was the most powerful man in that part of the world. And here was Nehemiah, one of the people of God, serving in the royal household. I mean, it would be like you or me today having a job, a favoured job in Buckingham Palace. I mean, this was an incredible job that Nehemiah had. And the first thing, I'm going to say, just bring out three things. Oh, there's so many things to say about Nehemiah, but I'm going to bring out three things today. And the first thing is this, that despite being in a foreign land, in a good job, actually we can assume from how people having that kind of job would have lived, living quite comfortably, Nehemiah himself deeply cared about the people of God. He didn't forget his history, didn't forget who he was. He knew who he was. He knew who he was called to be. And we can see it in the very beginning of the book of Nehemiah when some men from Jerusalem came to visit Nehemiah. And Nehemiah asked about how things were going in Jerusalem. That's where his heart was. And this was their reply. In Nehemiah's own words, he says, They said to me, things are not going well for those who return to the province of Judah. They're in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem has been torn down and the gates have been destroyed by fire. When I heard this, Nehemiah said, I sat down and wept. In fact, for days I mourned, fasted, and prayed to the God of heaven. Wow. Now, so very clearly, Nehemiah cared deeply about the people of God. And even in a secular workplace, living comfortably in a good job, far from home, he knew who he was. He was part of the people of God. And... This led him to a season of prayer, which lasted for four months. He reminded God, and you just read Nehemiah 1. I trust some will be motivated even just to go back to that book. It's just a little book with not too many chapters. It doesn't take long to read. But the prayer that he prayed in chapter 1, absolutely amazing. When he reminded God of his promises, he identified with the people confessing their sins and his sins before God, asking for forgiveness. He pleaded with God to bring his people back to the place that God had chosen for his name to be honoured. He knew that the welfare of the people of God and God's honour were connected. That's always been the case. That when God's people are living the way that God wants them to live, God is honoured. And when they're not, he's not. He knew that connection. And he felt joined with the people of God because he was one of them. He knew what it was to weep with those who weep. And to feel the burden of those who were going through difficult times. They were one body. And Nehemiah inspired me personally as a young Christian leader to learn to love the church. 
Because since Jesus died and rose again from the dead and poured out his spirit on his church, the church is not made up of one people group, but of a people from across the planet, from every tribe, nation, language group, who now belong to Jesus. And Peter put it this way, he said, you are a chosen people, talking of the church. You are royal priests, you're a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God. For he called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. Once you had no identity as a people, now you are God's people. Catherine's in my story, when we first got married, uh, nearly 41 years ago, for the first three years we'd moved to a new town out of London, uh, and uh, we'd moved to a new town in Bedfordshire, just a small town in the county. And for the first three years, we committed ourselves to a church just very near, just a five-minute walk from our house, which was really struggling and towards the end of its life. It doesn't even exist anymore. And we sought to help and to serve. We started kids' clubs. I preached. We did worship. We did all kinds of things. But the reality was that that particular, sadly, that particular local church, very small uh, and not really passionate for God, didn't really reflect what God wanted. But we learned in those three years so much about what God wanted for his church through what it wasn't. And we gained a burden Because God said to me one time, he said, I'm looking for a voice to speak of my love and my kingdom. And I used to cry out to God, God, please, will you raise up a voice? Because there was no voice. And we learned so much in those days, but gained a burden and a love for God's church and desired to see him to actually move. We desired deeply to see churches that actually gave glory to Christ and were the means by which many would come to Christ and follow him. He gave us a burden to see such churches. I remember just two or three years ago before that, and one of the things in this series, we're looking to relate personally some of our own story. There was a group in those days, a bit like 24-7 prayer today, but in those days there was a group called Intercessors for Britain led by some amazing godly leaders who've long since gone to be with the Lord, like Arthur Wallace and Dennis Clark and Alec Buchanan, an amazing prophet in his generation. And I committed to an hour a week just praying for the nation, and we used to get this list of things to pray for. And we, you know, pray for the reduction in the divorce rate, reduction in gambling, you know, and it just went on about the nation. But I found in those prayer times that praying for the nation made me think, well, the answer is God's people. We're meant to, as Peter says, show goodness of God to the world. The answer is a church which is thriving, which is a city set on a hill, which is the light of the world, which is salt and light, which is making a difference and transforming community and pointing to Jesus, who's the way, the truth, and the life. And so I found myself more than anything crying out to God for the church. And the love for the church grew. And Nehemiah was such a man who had a deep passion for the people of God. And he took it to prayer. And can I just inspire, it's great having some students back from uni in the church, quite a number of them, both sites. Um, And I'm just saying about, you know, giving myself to an hour 
you know, in a week just to pray. When you're a student, you have more time than you think you have. Give yourselves to God in all that you're doing. I'm not saying you don't have times other times, but don't wait for the next thing. Give yourself to God. Nehemiah therefore cared deeply about the people of God and about the honour of God in and through his people that had been deeply damaged at this particular time. So the second thing is Nehemiah was willing to be part of the solution. During this season of prayer, God clearly put a plan and desire into Nehemiah's heart. He made himself available to God to be part of the solution. And this is the end of his prayer. In fact, he prayed this just before he went to work on a certain day. And Good prayer to pray before going to work. Oh Lord, please hear my prayer. Listen to the prayers of those of us who delight in honouring you. God does that. Please grant me success today by making the king favourable to me. Put into his heart to be kind to me. It's not a bad heart, not a bad prayer, is it, when you go to work? So Nehemiah had been praying for four months, going to work as normal during that time. Can I just say, never like make work an excuse for not carrying God's burdens in your heart. You know, just ordinary life or family life or busyness. Nehemiah was carrying a burden while he was getting on with everything else as well. Does that make sense? We can do that. You know, and just almost becomes our default position when we're going to God on something. You know, Diane was sharing about a heart she had for a neighbour. But you just keep going back to God, keep going back to God, keep going back to God. God gives us burdens to bring in prayer. And we can, be, we can be, you know, nothing can stop that when there's a real burden in our hearts. And he'd been praying for four months, going to work as usual. And then he says, so the king asked me on this particular day at work, he said, why are you looking so sad? You imagine Nehemiah coming with the wine. Why are you looking so sad? You don't look sick to me. You must be deeply troubled. Then Nehemiah was terrified. This was his moment. And he replied, long live the king. How can I not be sad? For the city where my ancestors are buried are in ruins. And the gates have been destroyed by fire. He shared his burden with his boss. And the king asked, well, how can I help you? And I love this bit. It says, with a prayer to the God of heaven, I replied. He wouldn't have had much time to make that prayer. You see, he had four months with a prayer burden, and then he makes an arrow prayer to God. I like to call them arrow prayers. You know, God help, it's now. Right, and then he replied. He didn't, you know, it could have even just been a heart thing. It would have been in his head. But, you know, we need both. We need burdens of prayer, which are prolonged and go on. And other times, it's just an arrow prayer quickly. God help, now. Uh, and then he replied, and he says this, If it please the king, and if you're pleased with me, your servant, send me to Judah to rebuild the city where my ancestors are buried. And the king granted his request, and it was with extras, because he also gave him an armed guard, he gave him letters for every province he was going through, be the equivalent of having a visa today to go from one country to another. And he let him, gave him permission to have building materials from some of the best forests in the whole of the empire to go and help to rebuild uh, the city 
walls of Jerusalem. You see, Nehemiah was willing to be part of the solution. And he found favour in the workplace. He was a kingdom person first. Can I say that don't undermine the importance of your role as a person of God in your workplace if you're at work. If you're at work. Be a kingdom person. You're first and foremost there as God's servant. Nehemiah is a fantastic example of that. And uh, yes, I've been a pastor for many years, but before that I was in the secular workplace. And we had the privilege, Catherine and I, in the first six years of teaching, of leading two or three, uh, one or two or three colleagues to Jesus who wouldn't have otherwise known Jesus maybe at that particular time. When I was in my last teaching job before coming here full time in the 90s, and um, God uh, gave me favour. I was also pastoring a church at the beginning of that, not this one, but another one. And so the favour was, and, and any of you who are teachers, you know, wow, um, my head, my boss, actually gave me time off to do funerals and to go to some leaders' conferences. And out of the school budget paid to cover me when I went. You see, seek to be honoured by God and honoured by those that you work with in your workplace and see what God might do. You think, well, how can I be, what does it mean being a kingdom person in the workplace? Let me just summarise it by the Lord's, this phrase in the Lord's Prayer which says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And just pray. Lord, your kingdom come. Your will be done in my workplace as, my work, as your will has been done in heaven. And use me in any way you want. This is the Nehemiah bit. He was willing to be part of the solution. Use me in any way you want for your glory. Just pray that in the contents of your work and see what God does. So the story continues. And one of the things that really struck me is this, is that Nehemiah wasn't a critic when he heard the news, sitting on the fringes. You know, he could have easily said, when those men came back from Jerusalem, looking back, thinking, oh, you know, the gates are burned down by fire, the, the walls are in ru- just a load of rubble. He could have said, well, I could have told you that would happen. What a rabble they are. Or he could have said, well, what they need to do is get themselves organised. Well, what they need to do is remember the history that they had. And someone needs to get them, get them to do it. He didn't do any of that. He just got on his knees and prayed and then said, Lord, use me. You know, it's ever so easy to point the finger rather than come right in the middle and say, Lord, perhaps I'm a part of the solution. That's why I love Nehemiah. I just love these things. Being part of the solution was costly. But Nehemiah was willing to pay the cost of serving God. Easier to stay rather than go all the way to Jerusalem. But he went. Some years ago, Catherine and I took uh, an Indian pastor and his wife to a small village in Northamptonshire called Moulton, which many of you probably have not heard of unless you come from Northamptonshire. It's just north of Northampton. And it's actually, it was Village of the Year 2018, I just uh, read uh, just this week. Um, but, you know, you know, just for its nice place to live, uh, Village of the Year, Northamptonshire. And when we went, we went there because they wanted to see where a, a man that meant so much to India 
actually started his ministry, and his name was William Carey. And in the 1700s and early 1800s, William Carey, well, in the 1700s, actually, uh, he was there as a shoemaker, a schoolmaster, tiny little school, and he was asked to pastor the church. He'd become a Christian, he was asked to pastor the church. Still there today, it's called Carey Baptist Church. And as we took them there, I thought, wow, what a lovely place to live. Beautiful, leafy, absolutely amazing. And when we went, we were privileged. We were able to go into the chapel because that was open. But a lady was there who had the keys to a tiny little museum, which you can go by appointment. We hadn't made an appointment. We didn't even know about it. But we went, she took us into this tiny little museum, no bigger than the small hall out here. And as we went in there, we just saw how Carey lived. But we also saw something else. On the wall was a map. And written in his own handwriting, over this map of the world... He had counted how many, in those days, old-fashioned words, heathen there were, people who didn't know Christ there were, in all the different countries, China, India, and so on. And it was while he was there that he gained a burden for the millions who didn't know Jesus across the world. And he ended up as the founder of the Baptist Missionary Society and ended up uh, going himself to India where he'd spent the last 41 years of his life during which time people were saved, churches were started, schools, universities, science research was made, uh, and social transformation took place, like the burning of widows uh, when, when their husband died, terrible practice. Uh, he, he was the instrumental in seeing that change. And the Indians are still grateful for him today, particularly the Indian Christians, for what he did and pioneered. And he's commonly known as the father of modern mission. He was the one that said, expect great things from God and attempt great things for God. And that's exactly what Nehemiah's heart was like too. You see, sometimes God calls us out of relative comfort, blessing and comfort, to do the hard thing, and there's a cost. But the cost is always worth it. And being the part that, uh, so is always worth it. And the challenge to us from Jesus is this. If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross and follow me. The vision for Nehemiah was worth the cost. Seeing the people of God safe and flourishing and God being honored again in Jerusalem was worth the cost. Just like for William Carey, thousands saved, churches planted, transformed communities, it was worth the cost. I mean, let's face it, we know there's a cost in everything that's worth doing. I mean, you know, many are being entertained by women's football right now, by tennis and by World Cup cricket and all those kinds of things. You talk to any of those involved, there's a cost to actually be fruitful and successful. And it's not just in those things, it's just true in life. I mean, having children, there's a cost. Providing for your family, there's a cost. You know, you've got to go to work, earn some income. Studying for qualifications, there's a cost. Learning a musical instrument, there's a cost. And serving in the church, there's a cost. You know, giving up time to serve, getting here early, going on a ministry trip, leading a group... All of us going multi-site, serving Jesus, there's a cost, but it's worth it. 
And Nehemiah inspires us to understand that in a wonderful way. He was willing to be part of the solution and inspires us to be the same. And the third thing about Nehemiah is this. Are you all right with this so far? Oh, he's a great guy, isn't he? Nehemiah led and motivated others to play their part. So carrying on the story, Nehemiah went to Jerusalem, inspected the walls by night, and then he met with the city leaders. And he said to them, Nehemiah 2, he says, you know very well what trouble we're in. Jerusalem lies in ruins. And like the way he says we're in, not you're in. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire. Let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and end this disgrace. Then I told them about how the gracious hand of God had been on me and about my conversation with the king. They replied at once, yes, let's rebuild the wall. So they began the good work. Now that conversation was actually just taking place with the leaders. But when you read through Nehemiah 3, you see everybody was involved. Families on this position and that position and that position and going all the way around. Quite a substantial area, even though Jerusalem was much smaller then than it is today. Rebuilding the wall. Many conversations would have gone on in households between people about the story of Nehemiah turning up and ownership of the vision involved everyone. And can I say that's always true? Be careful in your private conversations that your conversation reflects an ownership of the vision rather than an undermining of the vision. And they all together, even with some opposition, rebuilt the walls in family groups around Jerusalem. They had some opposition, but Nehemiah was confident. He said face to face to his oppressors, the God of heaven will help us succeed. We, his servants, will start rebuilding this wall. Now, Catherine and I, in, uh, in autumn, had uh, the privilege of uh, being in Israel for 10 days, and we, we were taken around various sites, and we had a goosebump moment in um, Jerusalem uh, when... Uh, we were taken to a certain archaeological site and the guide said, Nehemiah's Wall. Well, Nehemiah being one of my heroes, well, our heroes actually, because Catherine loves Nehemiah too, um, uh, it, it, suddenly you get this goosebump moment. And these are actual walls that were built at the time of Nehemiah, actually in this story. And I found in the Jerusalem Post, so just a copy of this, um, which is a national newspaper, a broadsheet newspaper in Israel, um, for, dated from uh, 28th of uh, uh, November 2007, that's uh, 13 years ago, um, this, Nehemiah's Walls Uncovered. This is just a secular uh, newspaper article. And so just 12 years ago, these were discovered. Um, and it says, the remnants of a wall from the time of the prophet Nehemiah have been uncovered in an archaeological excavation in Jerusalem's ancient city of David. The section of the two and a half thousand year, wall, year old Nehemiah wall, located just outside the Dung Gate, not very pleasant, and the old city walls facing the Mount of Olives was dated by pottery found during a recent dig at the site, said Hebrew University archaeologist Dr. Eilat Mazar. This find, she said, opens a new chapter in the history of, Muse of Jerusalem, 
Until now, we have never had such an archaeological wealth of finds from Nehemiah's period. You see, we're talking about history of God's people, not fairy tales. This is real. And for anybody thinking, I'm just discovering about Christianity, is it real, is it not? I'll tell you what, there's so much evidence for the truth of the stories here, archaeologically now to be found. Uh, Not just in Israel, but other countries as well. And it's just an exciting time to live. And so, let's be inspired to be influential, like Nehemiah was. Where he said, with God's help, we can do this. We can build together. And in everyday life, it's not just what we've been organized to do in a rota. We can do this. We can do things together. You know, you don't have to wait to invite someone around for a meal. You don't have to wait to reach out to others in the church who look like they might be new or on the fringe. You don't have to wait to do the stuff that Jesus taught us to do. You don't have to wait to be asked. But we can do this together. We can be church together. We can grow together. We can, we, we can do some stuff together. And that was Nehemiah's heart and his passion. We can do this. We had a fantastic time last week in the West when uh, we were asked, uh, well, we offered to take place in a summer fair but, uh, because we couldn't, we couldn't meet. We knew always that that date we couldn't meet because the trustees of the community hall where we meet in Great Denham um, put on once a year a summer fair. And Bernice Chiswell had a bit of a God moment, she said. Uh, it's one of those things as a leader. She writes this email. She says, Tim, I spoke to one of the trustees. Um, I just saw them after our service outside. They were doing some litter picking. And I, I offered... Uh, I offered, I said, well, we could help. Well, we were already thinking of helping, but Nice didn't know this at the time. And she said, I just felt God prompt me to say, have you got anyone doing face painting? And the trustee said, no. She said, oh, well, we could do that. And then Bernice goes, she doesn't mind me saying this because I've asked her permission. She said, but I'm no good at that, so I don't know who will do it, but I'm sure we can find somebody. (laughs) Well, that put me into a cold sweat. (laughs) And it wasn't many weeks to go. But Hudson and Candy said, we can do it. And they started recruiting people. And then Hayley Manley came to the rescue. She heard what was going on, and she is face painter par excellence. She could be a professional if she wasn't working here in the finance uh, team, uh, and so on. And she trained 10 of our people, and for six hours last week, we had a queue longer than any other stall with Woodside Church, Westside, we had leaflets and so on, free face painting, free balloons, free chocolates, and we were able to talk to parents in the queue as the whole thing went through. At the end of that time, at the, and they all had that, we can do this. With God's help. It was a God moment that Benice had, you see. And with, at the end of that, the trustee that Benice spoke to initially, some weeks before, came to me and we just had a conversation. And he said, we've done this because we wanted to gather the community, because people have moved here from so many parts of the country, don't know each other, we just wanted to gather the community together. Thank you for helping us make this a success. And that can be done all over the place. We can do this. 
You know, we can reach out to this place and that place and the other place. We can do some things for God. That was what Nehemiah did. You know, worship team, we can do this. We can make the worship greater heights and greater depths and greater love for Jesus. Project 41, we can do this. We can reach the community. Youth teams, we can do this. We can see our young people discipled and strong in Jesus. Uh, community groups, we can do this. We can see enough groups for everybody in the whole of the church. Children's work, we can do this. We can get our children rooted and grounded in Christ at early ages. Set up teams, we can do this so that more people can come and meet with us and be part of uh, what God is doing. Those with prophetic gifts, we can do this. We can bring the prophetic word of God into our meetings, enabling us to know the presence of God. And we could go on and on, impact multi-ethnic uh, nature of the church. We can reach Bedford, but we can also reach the world. We can do these things. We can have vision. God has given us things to do. And Nehemiah inspires us to know that with the help of our God, he will give us success. I had a WhatsApp from uh, Ruth Byfield, which she sent on Friday, but I only opened up this morning. I'm not that good at opening up my WhatsApps. I was thinking about Nehemiah, hi Tim, I was thinking about Nehemiah yesterday and I felt the Holy Spirit talking to me about how how he wants to rebuild walls in relationships that have been broken and damaged for many years. With God's help, we can do this. You can do this. You see, the walls... And we were amazed by the walls. We thought they'd be upright, but they actually go along the, the bank of the hill. You know, but they're knit together. We're living stones built together. We can do this. We can love one another. We can forgive one another. We can be built together in the love of Christ. Trust God will speak to some of us. And remarkably, by the time you get to Nehemiah 6, we read this. So on October the 2nd, the wall was finished just 52 days after we had begun. That's remarkable, isn't it? When our enemies and the surrounding nations heard about it, they were frightened and humiliated. They realized this work had been done with the help of our God. Whoa. See why Nehemiah is one of my heroes? So I've introduced you to Nehemiah, if you hadn't met him before. Nehemiah, note, didn't have an Abraham or Gideon type of calling. You know, like the voice of God or an angel calling him. And sometimes people say, God hasn't told me to do this yet. And they're waiting for the Abraham type calling or the Gideon type calling. Please remember Nehemiah as well. He doesn't ever record he had one of those. Callings come in different ways. And for Nehemiah, he just cared deeply about the people of God. And when he saw a problem, he was willing to be part of the solution. He was willing to lead and motivate others to play their part. He was motivated by a deep desire to see the people of God flourish and for God to be honoured. His attitude was with the help of our God. We can do this. And God opened a door for him and used him greatly. My favourite Nehemiah quote is this. And the king granted these requests because the gracious hand of God was on me. And the good news for you 
is that because of what Jesus has done for you and the work of the Holy Spirit in your life, the gracious hand of God is on you too. Let's stand and pray, shall we? I'm going to ask Martin just to join me. And we're just going to pray together. Oh, God. Just inspire us, God. With great heroes. But this great hero from the Old Testament. Just pray in Jesus' name. Let's just be open right now. And Martin will just continue the, the praying. But for you, it could be in the workplace. God's calling you fresh, just to be a Nehemiah. Or in church life. Or in your family. Or as we heard from the WhatsApp, in terms of some relationships that need repairing. Or where you live. Or through you into another nation. Maybe even the nation that your family originally came from. Lord God, we just pray in these moments, just speak to us as we just respond to you. Just come, we pray. Let's just carry on for a moment. Just going to ask Martin just to carry on leading us. Lord, we thank you that in you we can be part of the solution. We thank you that this is not in our own strength, this is in your strength. But Lord, we recognize that it needs a yes from us. It needs a yes, we can do this. So Lord, we thank you for Tim's word. We thank you for this story. We thank you for Nehemiah. And God, I pray for each of us, whatever our response should be, whether relationship building, whether bringing kingdom in the workplace, whether serving in the church, whatever our response should be, Lord, we pray, would you lead us? And Lord, we want to give ourselves to this again. We want to say to you and to one another, we can do this. We can do this in you. God, we pray, would you take us from this place of decision and help us to walk with faithfulness and with commitment and with obedience and with a sense of we can do this tomorrow and the next day and the next day. God, we pray, would you do remarkable things through us? You are the God who can do great things. Therefore, we are going to expect great things. God, come and lead us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Wasn't Tim Green amazing? Uh, You have to clap very loud because he's probably left the building. But uh, next time you see him. You've been listening to a Woodside Church podcast. For more information, visit woodsidechurch.com.